0: Well, Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Calling Vision, where we explore and honor the idea that your vision has selected you and is inviting you to bring it into form. And when you choose to align and partner with that vision, you can change the world. This is B.B. Harding, your host, and today I have as my guest, Carmen Murray. Welcome, Carmen.
1: Welcome. Thank you, B.B.
0: Yes, thank you. So before we get started, I'm going to say a few words about Carmen. Um, First of all, Carmen and I met an offering of Grace Point Publishing, um, which is a premier publisher for leaders, teachers, and creatives. And one of their key um, presses is human design books. Carmen and I just happened to be participating in a call around things audio, I call it, um, like doing audio books, doing podcasts, video marketing, etc. cetera. She had done a few episodes of micro-podcasting and, uh, as an experiment and really willingly shared her experience with me. So Carmen, just to say a few more words about her, is a former classroom teacher, and has transitioned into mentoring and supporting others in their healing journey. She's, you know, supports people in moving out of stress and overwhelm that they can especially experience. Mother as an educator, she's spent the last 20 years learning to shift her own life priorities into alignment with the gifts they have to offer. And some of the tools that she integrates into her work include things like meditation. Yoga, Ayurveda, Reiki, and we've just had a few other little things that we just talked about, things like, you know, body talk and animal talk. So she's also a speaker and a workshop leader and a volunteer um, at the Rocky View Leadership Academy, and she supports uh, the organization of programs for the Canadian Student Leadership Association conferences. She's passionate about guiding others and reconciling their life balance. And considers permission to help teachers and educators fill their mind, body, and spirit so they can live unapologetically. I mean, love that word in your bio, just to say that, both in and out of the classroom. And she's also very excited to announce um, that she's writing her book, Teachers First, A Guide to Avoiding and Overcoming Burnout. And that is going to be released this summer. So welcome, Carmen, again. And did I leave anything out?
1: No, that was great. I'm like, wow, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also would like to present that um I live rurally in Alberta on a ranch with my family. And so that gives me a different perspective sometimes than the folks that have grown up and lived in the city. So I do appreciate that I live rurally and have that experience in my life.
0: Awesome. Yeah, you. I, I think you and I have communicated before that you actually live up close to a couple of friends of mine that are um, working in the equine gestalt coaching field um, up there. So one of the things that's exciting to me is is your book is about to come out. And uh, that's primarily what our conversation is going to be about today. Uh, You and I had kind of thrown it back and forth when you volunteered um, to be on the podcast. And uh, I remember you saying in one of the calls, if I remember correctly, that you never expected to write a book.
1: Yes, that is so true. I'm not um I wasn't the little girl who dreamed about being an author in November of uh, almost 2 years ago, year and a half ago. Um I do this journal prompt that is the next purpose at the very root of my soul might be. And I was doing that journal process and in process and I've done it for a while and then I don't actually think I was journaling, but it was just like well, what if I wrote a book? Because I have this experience of being a teacher. I taught in a classroom for 15 years, loved it. And one of the things that for me is when I no longer love to do something, I don't do it anymore. So it became apparent that I was no longer loving teaching. And I'm like, okay, I need to leave. And my body actually shut down on me. And then I still taught for another three months until I finished. So yeah, it's an interesting progression of Figuring it all out and then being available because what I became apparent to me is it's like I was available for that communication in November. I wasn't available for it for the two years prior to that because I was in burnout and I needed to recover. And so the book came out of a desire to let teachers know there's another way. We don't have to be exhausted and just kind of dragging ourselves into our classroom. We can be energized and feel great about showing up in the classroom which then has an amazing ripple effect on the
0: students. Yeah, I can imagine that, you know, if you're there and you love what you're doing and you're feeling really energized about it, that's going to be a much different teaching process than the one that's like, oh my God, I got to grade more papers. I have this curriculum I have to write and all those things that it's a much different teaching experience. And among other things, be present for the child.
1: And I, and I think too, there's this balance because I have two children and a husband and we run a ranch and ranch, busy ranch times are the same as busy teaching times, actually. So it's like, because for me, it was like, I could be super present in my classroom, but when I got home at the end of the day, I was done. Like I had no energy for my family, for my kids, for myself. And the same on weekends, it was like three hour long naps to get me through the next week. So, and in writing the book, it's been a, an amazing process of trust. <laughs> it's been an amazing process of having the right team around me, people that cheer me on and um, investing in myself, right? That's mm-hmm. what I love, Grace Point, is you and I have talked commonly about human design. In human design, I'm a generator, so I need something to respond to. And I got actually just the other day that it's like, oh, I show up on the live calls and it gives me something to respond to so I can move myself forward rather than just being in my basement by myself going, okay, what do I do now? I don't know what to do. So
0: I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, universe, Could it be a little louder. <laughs> so besides the fact that you were experiencing, it's sounded like you just said, A couple of years before you actually quit that you were beginning to feel the effects of the burnout so besides feeling the effects of the burnout and then your journaling process where the idea came up about writing a book were there other things that kind of inserted themselves into your life that let you know that something was afoot to move you in a different direction um so there's
1: a few things and one of them actually was a, fa- a fair, a fair amount ago, like almost 10 years ago, I lost a daughter. Mm. And so that process, um, I don't want to call it a process, that event in my life went, oh, I actually want to spend more time with my own children because I have two mm. amazing children. And it was just like that kind of planted a seed. And it's not like I have to look back to go, oh, yeah, that was one of the moments that's like, oh, do I really want to give my life away to teaching other people's children? Mm. Or do I want to be present for my own children? Do I want to be present in my own relationship? And do I want to do more than be in a classroom? Because being in a classroom when you're present and engaged with your students, and you've got the energy to do it, for me was amazing. I loved teaching, absolutely loved being in the classroom with kids. And then it was like, oh, there was these seeds of, oh, I want to teach this and this because mindfulness and knowing about your nervous system and setting yourself up for success with healthy habits is really important. And that I can no longer do that in in the space of a classroom. And that's what happened to me because probably about seven years ago, I came across um, Body Thrive, which is Kate Stillman's 10 Habits. And that's where the Ayurveda comes from in my background. And I lived those habits and I still got burnout. And so it was like the universe was telling me, you're not supposed to be here. You're finished here. And I ignored it, which was the let's have a possible blood clot, let's have the flu, let's lose my voice all in three weeks. And I continued my school years. Like I have to continue this. I have to be strong, or not I have to be strong, I am strong. I can do this, that. Um, pushing through that sometimes people do, women, to show that they're strong enough. I did all that. And then it was like a year later that I realized I was actually in burnout.
0: When when you kind of had the wake-up call here to the fact that you were in burnout, I noticed that you talked about, you know, like that pushing through. What do you imagine was the reason for the, I need to push through this, as opposed to saying the universe is calling me to do something different?
1: I don't know if I was. That's a really great question. So for one, because I was in the burnout, I couldn't recognize that the universe was calling me to something different. Mm. I'm going to say because I was so exhausted, because I was in reactivity mode, living in that stress mode, um, I wasn't able to see and be creative about what was next. I needed time and space to land and recover and then figure out what was next.
0: So you're familiar with the human design about needing to respond. You just brought up something that was that I've heard that's very interesting. It's like because you were in burnout, you couldn't hear the call.
1: Totally. I would say absolutely.
0: So now in your healing process, what have you noticed about your like calling the creative muse? Or, you know, being able to hear inspirational um things that come into your life. What have you noticed were a difference? And how do you respond to those things?
1: So I'm gonna say the biggest difference for me is I slowed down. As a as a teacher, so I get up, get my kids ready, go to school, come home, my kids were home, do family stuff, do school stuff. And I, I've always on I've always gone to bed early, so that wasn't an issue. And that was my repeat all the time. I was always busy, always going, jamming as many things as I could. It's like, oh, I've got five minutes before I have to leave. Let's do these 10 things before I rush out the door. And so I've really noticed there's been been this progression of slowing down that's happened over the past five years because I was going 90 miles an hour, no joke. And then it was just like, oh, I can slow down to 80 and I'm still okay. Oh, I can slow down to 70 and I'm still okay. Oh, we're down to 40 and I'm still okay. And now it's just like, I have time to take care of my body so my nervous system is not in overdrive so that I can respond to things. So my stress level isn't so high. And um, I'm able to pause and listen to my motor because I'm a generator, there's this uh uh-huh, uh-uh response that we have. And it's just like, oh, let's do that. In fact, I did it this morning because I'm like, oh, I want a coffee drink. And I'm I'm like, uh, so then I begrudgingly (laughs) paused and got present and like, okay, fine. I'll drink the hot water. So (laughs) there's this part of the slowing down. And as a teacher and a mom and a wife and like all of the hats that I wore, didn't allow me to slow down. And I didn't think that I was allowed to slow down. Right. It's like, I'm a mom, I'm a working mom. I do all these things. And it's just like, but I don't have to. And actually a huge aha moment for me was because I stopped teaching in June. I took a year off and in February of that year, actually, let me backtrack. In August of that year, I started my um, Ayurveda training. And then in February of that year, I was walking along the road after I'd helped my husband feed cattle, listening to the call for my Ayurvedic class. And it was like, oh, I have this empty plate. There's nothing on my plate right now. Right now, I'm at home being a mom, figuring out life. I don't need to add all these extra things to fill up this time and space. I can add only what I want to add.
0: That's pretty exciting.
1: It was. And I just was like, oh, so I don't have to do all these other things I don't want to do. So, and I continue to slow down. Like Even in the last two months, I've slowed down even more. And it's almost like I get more done because what I do is actually meaningful and focused.
0: Sounds like, you know, one of the things that you got gifted with here was the opportunity to really discern what it is that I'm I'm gonna say would serve you. And is that something that you really start to focus on when you work with other people?
1: Well, <laughs> in my human design, I'm a four-six, which is I'm more about other people than my own experience. And, um, one of the purposes that I'm here to do is nurture. And so one of the things that was pointed out to me in Mexico was I overgive and I'm like, Mm. ah, and in that moment of overgiving, it was like, it felt disgusting when the lady pointed out, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) And since then it's just like light has been shone on the places that I overgive and don't take care of myself. So it's really, that's part of the slowing down is. I can slow down and take care of me and feel the best that I can feel, and then I can actually give more by doing less.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, and, you know,
0: yeah. I kind of can. I really can resonate with that. And what I I know what I've found for myself is that there were so many things that I grew up with with what I should be doing, and it's been a journey to figure out what the shoulds are versus what. What really works? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you kind of experienced the same thing. Just like letting go of the conditioning.
1: Yeah, and the conditioning is is phenomenal to think about and learn about because it's just like, oh, so much of what I felt in the first forty years of my life was not me. Maybe <laughs> even the first forty-four years of my life was not me, and so it's just like oh, I get to actually sit and be with me. And it's just like, what do I want? What, what do I want to create? And in the process of leaving teaching and wanting to support women so that they don't have to feel like they have to do it all and feel alone and they have to get it perfect. And all of the things that sometimes we feel it's like, oh, I can show them another way. And that language came from, I was at a conference in Edmonton with the leadership people I do stuff with and we heard Orlando Bowen speak and he was like someone he spoke to in the prison he was speaking at said I didn't know there was a different way and that really hit home for me because Mm -hmm. I'm like oh I want teachers to know that there's a different way you can take time to take care of you you can take time to spend with your family and it actually makes you a better teacher which I think is so important. And the thing that I find interesting in the coaching that I do with people is people need to experience it over and over and over and over again to start to trust it. It's like, for some reason, there's this message that you're stronger if you do it alone. Right. And so when I work with people, primarily I work with women, um, but it's like in the year-long program I do, they get a full year of support. So they go through all the seasons and so much happens in a year. And it's just like this reiteration of reminder of you're not alone. And these are the things you can do to meet better. And it gives them a place to land and be seen and be heard with the real mess of what life can be, because, because it's not all roses and sunshine. and <laughs> Right. And, and, but it can be portrayed as that. It yep. can be portrayed, yep. it's supposed to be all roses and sun sunshine. So when you're not all roses and sunshine, it's like, what am I doing wrong? And it's like, absolutely nothing. And women need to know that there's a different way and you don't have to go it alone.
0: Right, right. No, really can appreciate that. Um, I've been participating in a community um, for the last, what, year and a half And one of the key things that caught my attention um, when I was invited to the community was we're walking each other home, which comes from Ram Das, and really getting an experience of, you know, what that looks like and what that feels like. And it's profound.
1: And, and the other thing as being a leader and someone who speaks in front of people and now I'll have this book out is I don't have to get it perfect, right? That's even the students I taught in school was like, I model what I believe I live, what I believe And some days it's a mess, right? Some days it's messy. And I model that too. And that's okay, because then it reminds people that I'm human too. Just because I'm writing a book and speaking on stage and running um, workshops doesn't mean I have it all figured out. And I want to remind people of that because um, I'm going to make the assumption, BB, that you don't have it all figured out. I'm going (laughs) to make the assumption that all of these people that we see that look like they have it figured out, they don't. They are, yeah. are similar. They're struggling similarly to what we're doing, but that's not what they're showcasing.
0: Right. Right, right, right. So I want to go back now to the book a little bit. So all of a sudden you have the thought about writing a book and you, you start having the revelation, so to speak, of, you know, I'm going to show teachers in particular that there's a different way about doing this. So when you first got the inspiration to write the book, was it something that you went willingly? Oh yeah, man, I could do that. Or were you kind of going, what?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. Because it was, I was like, oh. Um, I, I I'm good at feeling into possibility. That's part of my human design too. Um, and so it was just like, oh, I could write a book. I'm like, oh, I could write a book. And so that was November. Um, and I played like kind of ran the idea over in my head and Didn't really do any writing then. I did the um, Women in Publishing Summit. I listened to a workshop in November, I think, from Alexa. I signed up for the Women in Publishing event in March. And then after that, I joined Grace Point because I'm like, I can't do this alone. I, I know. I know going it alone is not my way. And so I started writing then. But yeah, there was this, there's also this understanding for me in again, through human design, my unpacking of it that I've done in the last four years or so, it's like, I get an idea and then there's this percolation that needs to happen. Right. And so this, like, okay, what am I going to write about? And I know I'm going to write for teachers because that's my experience. And I love these habits I've been practicing and the mindset and all of it. And so it was just like percolating. And I had two books in my brain before I talked to Michelle from Grace Point. And then she's like, oh, I see one book. And I'm like, oh, And then I started brainstorming. Like I have a a big sticky note somewhere in my office that's like, I don't know, two feet by two feet. And I just started dumping out what I thought it was important for teachers to know. And so in the end, when the book comes out, there's like, there's five sections to it. And the first section is all about the teacher. It's like, how do we take care of ourselves? And then I take it in the direction of how do we see students as people, And not just little children. And how do we teach them the skills that we're learning as adults? And how do Mm -hmm. we have those conversations for them, with them, so that when they walk out of that school, they've got all these tools that aren't just the curriculum. And so that, for me, is so, so important, because... Um, and I might get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyways. I feel like our education is pumping out anxious, overwhelmed people into our too bi- society that's way too busy and is go, go, go. And they can't function. Right, right, right. And then we put them on medication and then that messes with their health. And then they're just like, it's like they don't even have a chance. So I really would, and and that's in my book, is it's just like teaching kids how to be leaders. What tools are we using intentionally to teach them how to be leaders of themselves and others? And I know teachers are already doing it on one level. And my ask is, do you have the capacity to step it up? And if you don't, then can you take the first section of my book about teachers first and take care of yourself so you have an amazing life and then you can set that example for your students?
0: As you were, you know, pulling all of this together, did it become more apparent to you? So first of all, my premise is is that your book called you as much as you were growing, you know, probably stronger than you were to begin with. And but did it become apparent to you as you were writing and pulling things together, why you were chosen to pull this information together?
1: From my experiences. Um going through the loss of a child, raising our children on a ranch, finding burnout, loving my job one year and then the next year going, I can't do this anymore. Um, I feel like I have this plethora of experience as well as bringing those habits in um, that I got from Kate really gave me the foundation to go, okay, we need to take care of ourselves first as teachers and then even through the human design and, um, I've worked for the past eight years meeting twice a month regularly with a really good friend of mine, Susan Faber, as a, we call ourselves a healing group. <laughs> um, and we, we do processes and it's really helped me unpack so much of my baggage. We'll call it and really allowed me to show up as me because we, mm. we collect so many beliefs and conditioning that aren't ours. And now it's just like, oh, here I am. And so through this continual process of working with these ladies, it's, it's really supported me in being able to take all of my experiences and share them with other people so that they can choose a different experience, can plan for something different and architect their life how they want it to be, not just go along for the ride.
0: So that was the word, you know, you said architects are life. I noticed on your website that you had architect and I went, oh, that's a really interesting choice of words, you know, like that deliberate creation of what it is that you want to have. So as you were writing, what were some of the experiences? Do you have a couple of key experiences that, um, that you hope will land with others and be a, a, like an inspirational point?
1: I think through my writing and through my own experiences with my children, but in recalling the stories I wanted to share um, is how much we can learn from the kids we teach. Um, I have a specific example of four kids that I, four boys that I taught the first year I taught who were little turkeys. They're grade six, I taught grade six and they loved working together, but they didn't get anything done. And but they always wanted to work together and they always came to me with an argument of working together or a proposal. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't do anything. So it was really cool because in, in that story, it's like, we need to build skills for kids. And so because the four of them couldn't work together, I said, okay, I'll let you work in twos, but you have to get stuff done and put forth your best effort they were kids that played sports so they had really good leadership skills and they knew each other well and they eventually worked together as a team four and so and then they took that out to be able to work with other kids in the class so it's like how can we take those experiences from those kids to build that skill within them that they already have leadership they already have team building skills and the ability to work as a team how can we take those skills look at the unique situation And give them the tools to fly as opposed to just going, oh, you guys aren't going to work very well with anybody. You can't do this. You're not really trying. So it's like that negative, how we sometimes highlight the negative, negatively, the skills that kids don't have rather than highlighting the skills that they do have and go, oh, these three skills, we can foster those skills and they're going to balloon out and have a ripple effect in everything that those kids do including, for those boys, wanting to come to school, right? They got to work together. So why not come to school, have fun with our friends, and create something and enhance our learning?
0: I have a question around that. Because one of the things I just really heard was the expectation that they had to do something with whatever it was that they did together. And, and now I'm looking at, from a human design perspective, How much was it possible that they were all threes? And what they were meant to do was to be experimenting. And so they're not really producing a result, but they're learning. And they're figuring things out as they go along. But I just really heard there was that real almost requirement that you must do something. In order to be effective as a team, team four. So I don't know. I'm I'm asking you the question if looking back on it now what would you have to say besides let's capitalize on the skills they have, not the ones they don't.
1: Well, and unfortunately in the school system, because how it, how it's set up, especially here in Canada, I know in the States it's a little bit different and in other parts of the world is as a teacher, you need to be able to mark things for students and you need to have something to look at to mark. You can mark on observations and what you see in the classroom but there does need to be like a final product a final product that you can put a grade on that other people can see and so it is an interesting perspective to go what if they're just building the skills and so that for me takes it to how do we how do we highlight the skills that they're building and this is another example of um i taught leadership, which I loved. And one of the students that I taught previous before she was in my leadership class were walking down the hall and I was next to the kindergarten class, which is always a hoot. And they're playing games in the hall. And and she's like, oh, I just want to go back to kindergarten where all we do is play games. And I paused and I looked at her and I'm like, oh, you don't know that. They're learning how to take turns. They're learning how to count. They're learning how to use their motor skills. Like there's 10 different things that these five-year-olds are learning while they're playing this game. But as a teenager in high school, they don't see that as skill building. So it's like, then it's like, oh, how do we show kids what they're learning so that they are in on the secret (laughs) that they are learning no matter what they do? And it shouldn't be a secret that these are the skills you're learning. And this is what you're practicing. And this is a playground of practice in a safe place.
0: So is this something that you feel, you know, like if the book had a message, a single message or two messages to convey that it's conveying that or is that like the next book? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's put me. any pressure on you. Currently in my possibility, I actually don't feel a next book right now. Yeah, And I had a retreat in in Wyoming just recently, and that was clear. It's like, oh, we're going to spend the next three to five years to put this content out there and support teachers in starting to implement this. So, and I don't know if this answers your question or not, but I feel like there needs to be time and space to implement it. Yeah, because it's great if you have a book and you read it. You're going to take in that information, but the actual implementation and understanding and the habit evolution that happens when you start to shift your habits, that needs time. And so I kind of feel like that's where I'm at right now is it's like, oh, I want to support teachers in taking the time for themselves to start to shift their habits. And we talk about identity evolution. It's just like, oh, who do you want to be in a year? What skills do you want to have? What practices do you want to be having in your classroom? And I feel like if we just kind of like bump along with the status quo, we're not heading in that trajectory effectively.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So that answers your question or not.
0: Well, it sounds like you just re-emphasized your first point that you talked about, which is teachers taking care of themselves first and creating the time, you know, that will allow them to do that. And and that walking each other home, potentially, of how do I go about doing that? And somebody else saying, well, this is how I'm doing it. And being able to support each other. I don't know if you planned on doing groups or not. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, totally. I do. I run I run a group for teachers. Actually, if you want to work personally with me, I do run a dynamic group for teachers that really supports them and helps walk each other home regularly where we get to inspire each other and hold space for each other. And the other message in my book is that we need to teach these kids these skills yeah. when they're younger. Kindergarten yeah. is not too young. <laughs> it's, it's
0: not, especially, I mean, these days. I, I'm so, always so impressed with, um, I had a friend of mine who the grandmother of her two-year-old, you know, and was talking about that she was shocked when the parents you know, brought her over for her to babysit. And they also brought her iPad over and said, this is her tool. Let her use her iPad while, well, you know, she's here. And it was like, she said, I don't even know how to use an iPad. <laughs> but, you know, she was using it to watch different shows, you know, like kid-related shows and different things. And it was like, wow. You know, they grow up with the technology that, you know, I struggle with sometimes.
1: Yeah. And and I do like technology is amazing. It's going in such amazing directions. I I can't even fathom where it's going to go. And then I feel like, again, there's that word of balance, which for me, it is not equal. When I use the word balance, it's not like the math scale we learn is like not balanced. It's <laughs> ever changing it is there's the balance of let's teach them about the real world too. And let's teach them to have conversations with people yeah. and all like there's so much out there to experience in the physical world that we can touch and interact with um and that might be my age (laughs) Um, but I do like I know young people they're like oh I just like they love my my kids love being outside and doing things as opposed to just being on a screen
0: right and not only that but I think the skill set of learning to have conversations can't start too early you know in my mind they can't start too early these days you know that ability to have a conversation especially with somebody who has a dissenting opinion and not want to kill them as a first reaction. <laughs>
1: <You know? laughs> yeah. Well, and you even go- to, even to interact in the world. Right. And it, it's, it, it is, yep. it takes a totally different conversation of all the things you can do online, but like to go to a grocery store, to make a purchase to when they, when I take my kids shopping and they've handled their own money since they could talk is this just, just like, they get to speak to a salesperson and ask questions and order stuff off the menu because these to me are real life skills that we want our kids to have. And so the more I feel like we can teach kids to think critically and to be able to contribute successfully so that they can feel like their success in society decreases things like anxiety, decreases things like overwhelm so that then they, they are not living in their prefrontal cortex where they can't access their wisdom.
0: Right. Right. Well, not only that, but it seems to me that if if we were to focus on, as you put it earlier, um, you know, like allowing the person to find out what it is that works for them, their strengths, what their gifts are, and be able to capitalize on them, that that would be a a huge gain. So, So here's a question for you. Like, if you were to make a succinct statement, like if blank happened, the world would change. How would you fill in that blank?
1: If people had more sleep, (laughs) the world would change.
0: And and what is it about sleep that you see as being the change?
1: Um, It allows our bodies to function optimally. Like if you like, how many times are you somewhere and there's a ten year old kid or a six year old kid that is excited about life, like on top of the world, and has all of this energy? That's our optimal systems functioning. And so as we go through as we go through our days, sleep becomes less important. Um, we have stimulants like coffee and chocolate. Chocolate is mine, <laughs> dark chocolate, um, and it, like. When our body, all of our systems, our nervous system, our circulatory system, like all of them get affected, our digestive system by lack of sleep. And so then we run on empty, Mm -hmm. which is like, that for me is just like, why, for me, why, why would I want to run on empty when I can run on full? And that's a choice, which and <laughs> my family members do not like it when I say it's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a total choice of whether you show up at home and go to bed at 8 or 8.30 or whether you talk, up, stay up talking to your dad about trucks and cars until 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. You chose to give that three hours away of sleep and you know what it feels like. So it's like it's a choice of how do we prioritize our time? And where do we spend it? I think we have 1,444 minutes in a day, if my math is correct, and I remember that number correctly. I know um, that
0: number is around. I don't remember what it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, what do you choose to do with that time that gets you the return on investment that you want? Because we all have the same time, and we all choose differently how we spend it.
0: And, and I would imagine that that's probably a key point. My headset's doing something weird. Um That's a key point for your book is that, you know, we are a choice and we get to do things out of choice.
1: Well, in planning, like it, I talk a lot about planning because right. um, I got this from one of my mentors. It's like, if you don't make your own plan, you're following somebody else's. Oof. So <laughs> That's why I have a calendar in front of me that has nine months of the year. So I know what's going on and I can put in what I want to do, which gives me the power to say no to something else. If I have a plan about what I want to do and the experiences I want to have with myself and my family and my classmates, then there's this plan. And I know that things change and that's fine too. But if you have a plan, it creates a structure and gives you guidance to do the things you want to do in your personal life, in your school life. It gives you the moment to pause and go, oh, I need to check my calendar, which gives you the space, especially if you are have an emotional wave in human design, yep. to make a decision that fits for you rather than people-pleasing or just automatically answering. Yes. Yes, that's that.
0: So if, if you were to have one hope of what message people take away from reading your book, What would that be?
1: I'm going to borrow the words from Drew Dudley, who did an endorsement for me for my book that I just got, is that you matter. Mm. You you matter. You are the most important asset that you have. So you must take care of yourself first.
0: Awesome. So, Carmen, if people wanted to get a hold of you, what would be the best way to do that?
1: So I have a website. Which is www.sphericalhealing, sphere like the three dimensional shape.ca, because I, I'm in Canada here, is my website. There is a link on there that you can purchase the book if you're a teacher for yourself, if you're not a teacher, possibly for a teacher you know, or your students, your child's teacher. Um, and Bibi and I had this conversation earlier. There will be two places you can purchase it. Grace Point Publishing is the publishing company that we work with. And if you're interested in supporting small businesses, purchase it through them. If you need it in a hurry, it's also on Amazon. So you can check it out there. Teachers First, a guide to overcoming and avoiding burnout in the classroom. And then the gift I have to offer today for those of you that are listening is book a conversation with me. If you want to have a conversation with me about teaching or where you're at, Also on my website is a link to book a 15-minute complimentary conversation with me to navigate and plan your own life so that you can be reminded that you matter and put yourself first. And that's open to anybody, right? It's not just teachers. Yes, yes, it is because I do, the program I run is, has two kind of faucets to it. And if you're not a teacher and you're like, oh, Carmen, I still want to work with you. I do have people that I work with that aren't teachers. We just don't put you on the calls that are on the cl- in the classroom and about classroom management and things like that. So, yeah.
0: Cool. So is there anything else that you'd like to say before you leave for today?
1: I want teachers to know that they make a difference. I want teachers to know that I see how hard you're working in your classrooms and I see what you're already doing with students and keep up the great work and remember, so, so important to give yourself time and space just for you so that you can be the best that you can be and show up in that unapologetic form of here I am and what you have to offer the world.
0: Thank you, Carmen. I love that.
1: All right, everybody. Thank you very much. And uh, that's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for having me, Bibi. I really appreciate it.
0: And I appreciate your time. Thank you so much.